Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. Hi, I'm Susanna, and my pronouns are she and her. In this episode, we'll discuss the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, also known as Lectionary 5, which this year falls on February 6th. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. For our deep dive this week, we have our special guest, Susanna Porter, who is a fierce feminist field chick of faith who is queer and Lutheran AF. She is also a super techie genius, part of the Diaconia.Faith Collective, and the secretary for the Extraordinary Lutheran Ministries Board of Directors. Hi, Susanna. We're so glad you're with us. It's so much fun to be back with you all. I love it here. (laughs) Excellent. So for our deep dive with you, Susanna, we are diving into the concept of vocation, which is a fancy church word for a lot of people. And for a a lot of folks in the church, when someone talks about vocation, there's just this automatic assumption that people mean be a pastor or maybe be a deacon, but that's not actually accurate. And Susanna, you have a particularly great understanding of vocation. So that is why we have you on for this episode. But can you tell us what vocation means for you? Well, I was a Latin nerd in high school. So like vocation comes from vocare, which is to call. And honestly, until you just said it right now, when you're like a lot of people in the church think of vocation as pastor or deacon, that's not the case over here on us lay people. Like mm-hmm. we, we don't automatically assume vocation means only to be called as pastor or deacon. Like we've heard vocation used in a whole bunch of different, different ways in our various fields and industries and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, I, I also agree that it's to call. I just don't think that pastors and deacons are the only ones who are called to ministry. So for me, vocation is different than career or employment. Mm -hmm. right? Vocation is that root call, that part of you that God has instilled in you to serve the world in some capacity. And it is your career or your employment or your volunteer activity um, is how you manifest that that deep call. And I don't think you have to be paid. Mm -hmm. Jesus certainly was not paid. (laughs) I think to be fair, let this not be like fodder for any arguments that like people should not be paid for their work because they should, but you don't have to be paid in order for it to be a vocation. For Mm -hmm. instance, the whole thing that pastors have to go through where they have to have X many hours in order for it to be an actual call. It is bullshit. (laughs) Like a certain amount of hours that you are paid for shouldn't determine what is a call. Mm -hmm. So like for, and vocation for me is deeply Lutheran. It, it, it has to do with this personal communication between you and God with no intercessory. So I don't need the institution of church to tell me what is and is not my vocation. God has already told me, right? It's mm-hmm. that deep personal relationship with God. And it's the thing that motivates me to choose this path or that path. And it's also the thing that if you don't take up that path, as the spirit tells you to take up that path, she will just keep throwing it in your face over and over and over. Because that is the kind do. of person she is. Yes, she is very, she's aggressive. She's very loud. Yeah. Um, and she'll get louder the more you ignore her. Yeah. Yes. I think one of the things that is unique in what you said, Susanna, is 
both like yes it is true that the church is not the one that like gives you your vocation necessarily or tells you this is a valid vocation this is not a valid vocation and at the same time the community that you are in frequently does is frequently a tool of the holy spirit and so that way that when we talk about like the institutional church versus the body of christ that is the church And come to think of it, when we do talk about vocation in terms of call to ministry in the church, one useful tool that we use that I hadn't thought of until just now is that we talk about the internal call and the external call. The internal Mm -hmm. call is your feeling that you are called to this work. You, You need to be doing this work. And the external call is other people saying, yes, you would be good at that. Mm-hmm. And you kind of need both. <laughs> like having both is really helpful. If you just have one or the other, you're going to have some issues. Yeah. yeah I, I guess I like feel like I see your point. I see your point in that. I would just also caution that like the external call has so many opinions yes. according to what demographic you come from. Mm-hmm. And some right? people like, really suck at it. Like in, in terms of knowing when to, yeah. So like two flip sides, like one, just because I'm good at something doesn't mean I should do it. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. just because I know the ins and out of Microsoft Word does not mean that I should be proofreading something or it doesn't give me joy. It doesn't like fulfill that call. And then secondly, I am sure that what I feel to be a call to upend certain things in the church institution is definitely something that there's not a whole lot of an external (laughs) call for me to do. Oh, I don't Um, know. We'll, we'll keep inviting you back on the podcast as long as it takes, Susanna. That's fine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, it depends, right? It's who are we Sometimes counting? you have to go looking for the external call. Yeah. And who yeah. are we counting yeah. as a valid voice for that call? Mm. Right. And what do we count as a valid vocation? Like there are some things in this world that outside of the church that we are perfectly happy to call vocations. Like, for example, the conversation I've been having recently is the importance of if you are going to be a parent, you have to have a call to parenthood. If you don't have the call to parenthood, then being a parent can go rather badly in a number of spectacular ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You probably don't need a vocation to be the mom friend. I am absolutely the mom friend. I don't necessarily see that as a vocation. I still don't get paid for it. But (laughs) it, I don't know, there are moments when it sort of feels like a vocation, but it's less serious. But there are also uh, other tasks or jobs that we kind of naturally assume in our society, and this will depend greatly on your background, uh, which ones, that we just sort of assume wouldn't be the subject of a a vocation. And so I was wondering about how can we better understand our own viewpoints and prejudices by talking about that. So I think the first thing that we have to acknowledge is capitalism and its effect, right? So capitalism would have us believe that your vocation is just identifying which cog in the wheel, which cog in its machine you're going to fulfill to make money for the empire. And because of this, it doesn't recognize anything that's unpaid or anything that doesn't contribute to the wealth of the empire. Productivity. Productivity mm-hmm. culture is, and I have fallen in, you know, I'm ADHD, so like I'm looking for different tips, and I'll easily fall into productivity cultures 
like weaning out anything that's extra extraneous and only producing, producing, producing so that other people can consume, consume, consume. And uh, the ways that the ELCA enforces this is, is a lot too, particularly with like the amount of hours that you do, like you have to do a certain amount of hours and get paid a certain amount in order for that to be considered a valid call. And I think that's capitalism having its effect on the ELCA, sure. like mm -hmm. by far. For those who are just joining us, the ELCA is the denomination that we all belong to, yes. uh, which yes. is by happenstance because not all of our guests do. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry. So I'm, yep. Yeah, I'm no having a point of privilege there and assuming everybody knows that. So like there, and I see that constantly in, informed in these places, like people, and during the pandemic, there's been a lot of consultant work happening. So like I've seen people with very little experience be hired for things because they charged a lot hmm. as opposed to somebody else who just, it's part of their field and it's, they know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And, and they've done it for free. And it's almost like if you do something for free, just to help a congregation or, or help any other like church circle, then that devalues your work yeah. because it didn't have a dollar amount on it. And so like when we're identifying what our call is, I, I find it's helpful to go directly to what is it that God is constantly in your heart, pushing you to do in terms of like bringing your skills into the world. And then I guess the other thing is that like, there's some people that are so dedicated, so needing to do their call. And I've seen this a couple ways that they've like completely made, like completely divorced the way that they make money from the way that they execute their call because they don't want their call to be held hostage to money. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. like, it's, it's very helpful. I think like, for instance, this right here isn't necessarily completely funded by ELCA grants. So therefore you have a little bit of leeway in where you can go and what you can say. And God's call is not dependent upon you upholding a certain institution. So, I mean, I want to, I want to. In fact, it is 0% funded by the ELCA. We are a self-funded podcast and funded by our Patreon supporters. So it would be really helpful and awesome if you all who are listening would become a Patreon supporter. It's a mere yes. $5 a month automatically recurring. Or you can level up to our $10 a month one, which is the super awesome level. Although we are also grateful to the Extraordinary Lutheran Ministries Board for the small grant that we did receive. Yes, we received in 2020, we Which received got us started a $200 off. grant to get us. That was great. And I am not here because of that, okay? Like, let's yeah. just, like, <laughs> that's a full disclosure. I am on the board. But, like, I'm not, I, this was not a condition of that $200 <laughs> grant or anything. That would be the, like, worst. We're going to yeah, give you $200, but you have to let us be a guest on your podcast two years from now. Yeah, that would be <laughs> wacky. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, no, like, okay, this is a very common thing. Like, for instance, there was millions of dollars given oh, sure. to Ivy League schools. And in return for them building new law buildings, they had to let Scalia come and lecture their students. Like, that's like a Her real, brothers. a yeah. real total thing. Cool. So just, you know, Yes, I, I was just saying being a guest once two years down the line for 200 bucks seems, seems kind of an extraordinary ask. But, it, yeah. does. It, I, it does. I mean, mean. it is extraordinary Lutheran ministries. <laughs> that is true. Yes. But it yeah. is indeed. They're, they're usually extraordinary in better ways. 
Yes. Right, 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 right. In better ways. And and I'm glad that you brought up the Patreon because I can't stress this enough. Paying people who are doing ministry work directly is like I I would venture is is a form of tithing. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I this I know this is controversial, but like if you would like to tithe to a particular and have a particular thing come forth, like this is a way, in my opinion. It's I know it's very controversial, but in my opinion, this is a way because it creates the freedom for people to do really beautiful, amazing ministry things. And I think Jesus being in the side hustle, like in 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 funding the side hustle, ministry gets to greater amounts of people. Mm. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my my thought anyway. Jesus is always found where freedom is met by answering a call. And when the money is when the when you are tied to that money, then there's not any freedom. And so honestly, diversifying a portfolio of where we get our money, whether it's this podcast or a congregation or a synod, diversifying where we get that money from is a matter of justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do love, you are the first person I think that ever told me, Susanna, that Jesus is in the side hustle. And that has been so affirming, particularly in the many, many side hustles that I have going on right now. But just in the diversity of like how how I engage in ministry and what that looks like. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But also, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all engage in our vocations and we didn't have to worry about capitalism? Yeah. Right. We actually like gave people what they needed to survive. Amazing. (laughs) Speaking of, one of the things that I love about vocation is how diverse it is, that there are so many different ways that God calls people generally and even each of us over the course of our lifetime. So when you think about your life, how has God called you, Susanna? Well, I like didn't hear it correctly in the beginning. I don't think it started off. Okay, it started very young. I remember being in kindergarten, and there were all these little boys that would climb up the like playground. There was like this. It looked like an Epcot Center, right? It's like that kind of shape. And it was mm-hmm. like a jungle gym of sorts. Yeah. And I was with a bunch of little girls, and we were up, like, "Why we were five years old on this metal behemoth of a thing?" Seems very dangerous now but that's where we were and the boys would circle yeah (laughs) we would circle it the boys would circle it climb up and then together knock us off Mm. and i remember i remember being five and organizing all these little girls to encircle this jungle gym and climb up and 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 shove the boys off it was (laughs) a little fun it was a little violent but i'm so like i feel like that call has always been in me (laughs) susanna i admit i don't know you that well but that is the single most susanna story i've ever heard (laughs) it really is thank you thank you and so like the way this ended up manifesting is um i just was very drawn to movements that had to do with empowering people as opposed to like one person at a microphone empowering Mm -hmm. people so i've always felt god like calling me in a way of being like kind of like chief minion you know what i mean like doing things that not being spokesperson like i'm like that's not where i want to be i like organizing people for a cause right and so it started with i i got um my antics in college 
put me in a position where I was recruited by a field consulting firm for congressional elections. So I was a Democratic field director for various congressional elections in my first life. And then politics started to rot my soul, right? So I mm -hmm. went to nonprofits and I was like, I'm going to do the same thing of organizing people and take it to nonprofits because they're actually not super great at organizing people. No. Um, and so like I did that work in nonprofits and it still was really like the way they were, the way they were, uh, yoked by money was, mm, yeah. was so intense. That is and weird. I've been like, been floating in this space between the two for a really long time. And I've found myself now in what I think it's become clear to me now that my call is within the church and applying those two places, nonprofit management and field organizing, but in a faith environment. So for me, that's getting out the good news about Jesus, Jesus and justice and organizing people using real pride, like tr tried and true organizing techniques, whether that's like contacting your legislator or what, whatever. Like I really, really love doing that and also empowering other people in faith communities about how to speak or getting their message heard at a wider audience than just some building for 30 minutes on Sunday. Yeah. So that's how, and, and that's not, that's as much of a call as any other call that we traditionally think of in church as a pastor or a deacon and pastors are not called to do everything. And I, 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 I pull it, I pull it. I mean, but you, there's so many that are like, Oh no, I have to do everything. And, mm -hmm. and congregations that are like, Oh, we're just going to default to you doing everything. Yeah. And, I do not necessarily need to be in charge of dead animal management. Yeah. No, <laughs> you do not. You absolutely do not. And so I, I firmly believe in the first Corinthians 12, the, the body with many members. And it's mm -hmm. like, if you're a foot, you don't say like, yes, just yes, that we part. We just did that one last. That was last week, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, good. Then this is a good tangent because it goes right over to lay people. That's good news for lay people. Mm -hmm. All of them are called. They are all different parts of the body. And pastors are not taught to be marketers, fundraisers, plumbers, roofers, nonprofit managers. Like take care of building. Like and those require other parts of the body. So, like. I just feel very, very called to affirm those calls and bring them in. Um, Francisco Herrera that you've also had on here, you know, was, was talking to me about missional, what missional means. And I, I've, it's really changed the way I think about it. For me, my question is like, what if we as a church, instead of like saying, here's our call and now we're going to recruit people to execute what these few people in power have decided our purposes. What if church was about looking at everybody in a community, identifying where God has called them, where they feel God has called them, and doing everything we could as a community to give them the resources to live into that call? And yeah. what would that look like? And that I, 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 so now I fine tune call to be a part of that, like making that happen. And Susanna, you just reminded me of a fictional reference that. I hadn't come up with before for that first Corinthians text, but the whole 
we are each part of the body, but we are separate parts of the body and we have different jobs thing. It, it very much reminds me of, it was one of the very first episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, uh, in the first season. I think it might have been like the second or third episode where oh, wow. uh, it focused on the idea that you don't have to have the whole solution. You just have to have one piece of the solution and then mm -hmm. everyone else can contribute their pieces. And eventually, you know, you don't get sucked out of the airplane, which is a plot point that you don't always have to have involved like it doesn't have to involve getting sucked out of an airplane but i <laughs> i hadn't uh connected that to the first corinthians text so thank you i so then when you said that Kay, i thought of the power rangers which i loved when i was a kid Aww. right but like the power rangers so they they level up there's a bunch of different power rangers and there's like complicated problematic ways of how they divide who's what color but then when they're fighting some evil alien or whatever like they all start out and they're all like their own people and they're all individual and then it usually like levels up and they have like these machines that kind of come around them and transformers i think does a similar thing so they're each their own machines but then when the monster inevitably like supersizes itself then they yeah. all come together to say there are you know i think there's like six or seven power rangers and like one will be the leg the right leg one will be the left leg one will be the right arm one will be the left arm there's body and there's head and so then they become one body literally one body to fight at the right size mm -hmm. but they're all like doing their own piece of that fight yeah i was thinking transformers <laughs> i was like using transformers to teach kids about the body of christ is brilliant yeah excellent yeah like brilliant love it love it so much although i'm really more the 80s cartoon than i am the uh michael bay movies but <laughs> that's just me I, I like the explosions i just think that megan fox should be allowed to wear real pants but <laughs> anyway. yes yeah <laughs> That's cool. I have standards. Like, they're weird, but I have standards. When I first moved in here, everybody that, when my house, like, in 2015, when we first moved in here, we all were coming from some sort of traumatic background or another, right? I was coming from, like, a divorce that had just destroyed my life. My sister was getting out of, like, a super abusive relationship. Matt was, like, getting out of, like, an eviction situation. And then two other people were getting out of, like, situations where their families had drinking problems. And none of us had all of what it took to get a place to live. But together, five of us were able to make, like, one, what capitalism would call one fully functioning adult human being you know like Aww. two of us had cars i had all the furniture and all like the stuff to like stock a house right because i just got out of this marriage i didn't have any credit though somebody else had a whole bunch of credit in order to get the house but they didn't have the deposit somebody else had no credit but also but did have the deposit like together we were able to build a community and and sure. have a house over our heads but we couldn't none of us could have done it alone and historically speaking the whole concept of having to do all of it yourself all the time was not a thing like yeah. that's not how society ever worked yeah right. yeah so i think we're all called to be in community in some kind of way mm -hmm. so Susanna, we were talking about kind of what your journey of vocation has been and where god has called you and you were talking about some really amazing things and I'm curious where you feel God calling you now, right? Because you've got uh, quite a few different projects that you're working on. So I'm curious if you can tell us about any of them. 
Yeah, well, it actually segues exactly with what we were talking about. So Diakonia is a project that me and four friends are doing, including Emily. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it comes from a similar place of diversifying our portfolio and not wanting to be completely funded by sources that can harness us, yoke us, keep us from doing things, freedom in the side hustle right? It comes from the same concept in a lot of ways. And it, and it goes like this. So like, we, we were five friends that are getting through a pandemic trying to remain calm and functional in our lives. And over, and it started, as, <laughs> thank you. Like we're so many, most of us are ADHD and working together over zoom. It was a good way to stay on, on focus. And then also I got sick with COVID last year and they took care of me like over zoom, like, you know, tossed me over when I've slept on my back and was like, Susanna, wake up and turn over and had me do the YMCA to like open up my lungs, you know? So like we became very, very close and all of us had very similar problems where we have these, we feel called to certain kinds of ministries and our vocation, like this vocation that isn't necessarily condoned by the church, that isn't necessarily a priority for the church, right? And if it is a priority for the church, then there's going to be stipulations that keep us from really, truly being free. So like River Cook Needham and Pace Warfield Ney is, they're both theologians, brilliant theologians Mm -hmm. and they scrap and pinch to find various gigs to like you know to 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 put their brilliance out there i do techie stuff for churches matt may is an amazing church musician music director and emily is the pastor and like if you take all of us together we all have a little something to contribute in a consulting sense but also in a worship sense, right? So we're working together as a group to figure out what kind of classes we can teach, what kind of um, services we can do for people that don't want to be in person, but need a safe space to worship. We're coming up with that kind of, what does church look like if we give each other the resources that are needed for us to live out our calls? What if we are all giving each other those resources and church becomes for us um, making sure that each other gets those resources. And that's, so that's what we're kind of working on right now is, is in response to all of this, to response to everybody's, you know, experience with the church. Yeah. What does Jesus look in the side hustle if we can fund it? And if we can't fund it, can we support each other? So like, Mm -hmm. I'll do storage for this podcast, you know, because this is Emily's podcast and your podcast and Emily's part of it. And there needs to be storage for very large files. So what happens if we share these burdens, you know, and I'm really excited about the way things are turning out and some of the ideas that are on the table. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. So as we think about vocation. The last time that you were on our podcast, Susanna, you were on to talk about Buffy and the ways that Buffy is a Marian figure and a Jesus figure and a whole bunch of things. So I'm curious in the realms of fiction and fantasy, who are the characters that stand out for you as examples of folks living out their vocation? So like, I was going to talk about Buffy again, because I'm (laughs) predictable and then changed my mind which is also rather predictable I mean, you can also talk <laughs> about more than one 
So I'm going to go for The Expanse. No false binaries. <laughs> we just like we just finished watching that, which by the way, Christian Abasarala is like the most fantastic politician on TV and really like walking that yeah. line between politics and call, which is a real line that happens. There yeah. are some people oh, yeah. in politics that are called to it. Um, and you have these like small core group of characters. They're doing everything in community, right? They're all existing in community. The, they're on a ship called the Rastinante and the various, the various things that they are subjected to. And the context is, Earth's in the future, Earth is highly developed, the moon has been basically colonized. There there are people that have colonized Mars and that's a whole commute that's a whole culture. And then you that's very much a very techie and militaristic culture. And then there's the Belters, which are the people that are usually like our our low income people are laborers like they end up being in the belt mining and dealing with resources and living in this very hostile space and there's a lot of friction between mars and earth because they are equally matched powers um and they get very distrustful of each other and then the belt hates both of them (laughs) because the inners only use the belt for their resources and you know exploit the people there and the people on this on the rasinante some of them are from mars some of them are from earth some of them are from the belt and they end up in this situation where they're using their own skills either as pilot or captain or engineer on the ship they're using it in various like political slash justice situations to mitigate these incredible inflammatory situations between these three political entities and there's this whole thing about aliens so like (laughs) but like i'm not i want going more towards the call and they're constantly having to question like what am i called to do am i am i supposed to call it reminds me of the fisherman in the gospel later is my alliance with where i came from Mm -hmm. or is my alliance in a better community for all of us is my alliance, am I, am I called to just do what, where I came from asked me to do? Or is my call to take my own personal skills and work with this small group community to build a better world for all of us, even though there's bad blood in these different political factions? Sure. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of The Expanse. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing show. I really appreciated the show. I guess... It seems easy for me to talk about vocation and have it be this like fluffy thing. And even when we talk about vocation being justice seeking and justice making, the we don't always get into like the full context. And right now it just everything feels like pretty apocalyptic. And we're on the verge of war in a number of places, not to mention just the ongoing terribleness of living in this country right now. And so having like the expanse as a model of vocation is this beautiful thing because it takes into like it, it, it holds the space for sometimes the decisions you make are one choice that is the least terrible option. And sometimes the decisions are one of many good options, but like the setting you're in does not necessarily is not necessarily an ideal setting. And still there are vocations and people are still called to live out those vocations yeah and also like really explains the difference between vocation and career like i'm gonna there's a lot of great characters to choose from i'm gonna choose a lesser 
displayed character Prax, who's a botanist. Like, I think he's perfect for this, right? So Prax is a botanist, and he's introduced in the storyline because he's got a kid that has a bunch of, like, a genetic, a genetic propensity to this very, very rare illness. Mm-hmm. But he's a botanist, and he and towards the end of the show, he's like in one of the seasons very heavily, and then at the end, at the last season, he's only in for a tiny amount of time, and it was amazing. So what what happens is that he he's a botanist on building greenhouses, basically on moons, to be able to get more food out into into the solar system um and earth has just been smashed with a ton of asteroids and they're having trouble getting resources and food to the planet's population and even though prax is officially a belter did not come from earth has an alliance with the belter has this amazing discovery that will help earth grow more food even though it costs him even though it's not particularly politically smart of him he smuggles the secret to earth just Mm -hmm. because just because there are people that are dying and need food. Yeah. Right? And he's a belter. He's not an earther. And he's still like, earth being able to have food is 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 what needs to happen. So his career is botany, but his vocation was feeding the world. Yeah. And that's that that is a new way of, of looking and he didn't get paid for saving the world. He got paid for like growing crap on Ganymede or something. So like he that's that's the difference what using your skills that you may hone or build in your career but putting those skills vocation is putting those skills for the good of your community and if you're a christian then we call that the body of christ but regardless but vocation is the way you are called by your higher power in my opinion to serve your whole community sure yeah that's beautiful And now, as we dive into our readings for this episode, our first reading is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and possibly 9 through 13. Isaiah has a vision of God enthroned with six-winged seraphim. God cleanses Isaiah's mouth with a burning ember, and Isaiah is freed from his guilt and given a difficult message to share. So the theme that stuck out to me actually comes from a queer leadership development series that Pace Warfield May, friend of the podcast and co-host of our sister podcast, Horror Nerds at Church, taught through Extraordinary Lutheran Ministries last year. And in that, we were looking we were looking queerly at texts, and this was one of the texts, and somebody brought up God as a drag queen in this, because we get this image of God enthroned and her robes are flowing and are like so extravagant and gorgeous and there's just like such such pageantry and such a magnificent presence that like it just is so fitting that god would be a drag queen in this and i love it sure and i like the image of god as a drag queen which i believe we've explored before as well yeah that's true in verse three we read and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts uh, the whole earth is full of his glory. So in the Hebrew language, if you repeat a word once, it's for emphasis. And repeating a word three times means that this thing is super extra extraordinary, whatever that word is. And so when you sit here, holy, 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 uh, which you might occasionally hear in worship services, depending on where you go, because it got stolen for liturgy. It, it just means that God is super extra amazing holy. Uh, and... It's not that 
the person who wrote this down just got stuck on a word, <laughs> like say the Martian Muppets from Sesame Street that say yep 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 yep, yep. or occasionally nope 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 nope, nope <laughs> uh, because they get stuck on words. That wasn't for emphasis. Uh, instead, perhaps you can think of it more like the character Ruby Rod from the movie Fifth Element saying no 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 when he realizes that what he's looking at is a bomb. Ooh. That was definitely for emphasis. Ruby Rod was very good at emphasis. Let's give him credit for that. So. Yeah. Now when I, now when we sing Holy, Holy, Holy in church, I want to be like, super extra, super duper holy. <laughs> yes. That sounds great. Yeah. And then in verse four, I was reading, um, the pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called and the house filled with smoke. And it actually reminded me of the in my headcanon, non-canonical Star Wars mm. Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, the scene with Emperor Palpatine where he's just like larger than life and in this like huge chasm of a, like this huge space and it fills with like power and smoke and mystery and all of that stuff. And it also, you know, fits the second half of this passage where that character is calling for, you know, the utter destruction of Israel and of this place for yeah sure so I was like ah that fits very well from drag queen to Palpatine <laughs> I, I mean definitely Palpatine's sense of drama I think yeah less so the you know randomly murdering people yeah but it also yeah, yeah. and it it also fits I think well with what we were talking about in the deep dive of sometimes our vocation is not to something that is good or easy or safe. Sometimes our vocation is to something that is scary and dangerous. And that's right. Like God giving Isaiah those words to tell the people of Israel is a scary yeah. thing for Isaiah and a dangerous thing. Yeah. Perhaps it is, you know, I saw the expanse, but this still reminded me of the expanse spoiler alert. Pause here. Okay. And in the, in the, 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 why are you calling me part? Like I'm who, when God is like, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And they say, send me. It, even in the midst of the vast emptiness where people are just like, it, the part later where it says, the Lord sends everyone far away. The vast is the emptiness in the midst of land. Feels like the expanse. Mm. There's this vastness with little pockets of people and they're all distributed all over the place. At the end, the main character is not, he's called to take on a position that he does not want to take on. But he agrees to take it on and says, okay, send me because he is a friend of the belt and the earth and Mars. And so he understands that he's the person who can, can take it on, but that's not actually what he wants to do. He believes that putting the power in the hands of the belters who had been long oppressed is really the key to peace. And so at the end of the day, even though he says, send me, he's being sent in order to lift up others because he immediately resigns. Mm -hmm. and hands it over to the belt yeah yeah um and that in the midst of all this space putting justice first in the midst of all this space where people have been flung far and wide sometimes you're sent to lift up somebody else and it 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 just reminded me of that yeah yeah our second reading for this episode is from first corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. paul gives a short recounting of jesus's post-resurrection appearances leaving out all the women to reinforce the strength of the gospel message. So one of the themes 
that is probably obvious from Kay's summary in this passage is revisionist history. So, Paul, (laughs) right? Boo! (laughs) Yep. Despite the fact that every single gospel has a woman showing up first at the resurrection, at least one woman, Paul decides that they are not worth mentioning. And so it, it reminded me of NASA and a lot of scientists who just kind of cut out women from recognition in history. So that's Katherine Johnson, who is who is like the reason that we made it into space exploration to the moon and all of that stuff. And the other, especially black women who are highlighted in the Hidden Figures movie, but also like Rosalind Franklin, who is the one who actually discovered the double helix in DNA, but Crick and Watson stole her discovery and got credit for it and still get credit for it in too many places. Or like not sharing the truth that women were actually in all of the tests found to be more capable for space travel than men in like the binary world that they were living in, right? And so then NASA had to create a way to keep them out and so said, you can't go unless you are this in the military. And women, of course, were not allowed to be that in the military and so then they couldn't go. But just like, ugh. Despite the fact that they weighed less and therefore would take less fuel to get into space and would eat less while they were there. And they were better at staying calm in a like non-sensory space and yeah. But why be practical when you can, you know, be sexist, be misogynist. Yep. And then in verse five, we read, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So remember uh, that Cephas uh, in the Bible is also known as Peter and also known as Simon Peter. Uh, He just has multiple names, much like uh, Aragorn slash Strider slash Elisar, and I think a few others Mm -hmm. uh, from Lord of the Rings does. Uh, Simon Peter is his full name. The disciples know him as Peter because there's another disciple named Simeon, and that would get confusing. And Cephas is a nickname that Jesus gives him that means rock. And this is a little different for men than women in the Bible, uh, because men in the Bible often have multiple names or nicknames, and women in the Bible are just largely named Mary. Or not given names. Or not named. But their names are erased. That is, like, particularly poignant. I never thought about it that way of, like, not only are women in the Bible, like, not only do women in the Bible get their names erased, or they all share the name Mary, but men get multiple names. Yeah, that just seems egregious. Yeah. yeah. Like, go big or go home on the misogyny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The Bible doesn't do anything halfway. <laughs> that is true. And then in verse 9, Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle. <laughs> an apostle. Unfit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I totally have ideas of what that word means. <laughs> the impossible apostle. <laughs> Absolutely. So Paul writes, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And we talked about, I think, in our last episode, the repentance or redemption arcs and the fact that in fiction, largely, there are no redemption arcs. People who do evil then like change their ways and die instead of having to face the consequences of their actions. And the two things that are counter to this, one is the show Leverage Redemption. The whole first season of that part of Leverage is like Noah Wiley's character is trying to redeem the harm that he caused as a lawyer in his life and in his work. And so there's a beautiful way that like 
that is part of it. The redemption arc is part of our vocational calling, right? The to repair the harm that we have done. Because we've all done harm in different ways. For Noah Wiley's character, it's yeah. like big, big picture harm. But I love that image. And then we get Christian Avasarala, who Susanna reminded me of, who at the beginning of The Expanse tortures somebody because she could, because she had that power. But through the course of the show, we see her grow and we see her learn and we see her change and we see her work to to do things better. And sometimes she's not sure if it's the right choice and sometimes she does it anyway and sometimes she second guesses and all of this stuff but we see her making choices that are for the good of those that she had previously harmed or discarded entirely and I I love that she and and she faces consequences like there is major distrust of her by Belters because of what she has done and she has to re-earn that trust and I think that that's just like a great a great example of making that space yeah I gotta say though that last line that line in there like on the contrary I worked harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of God that's with me just annoys me for crying out loud frequently annoys me like like you've seen this right like where you're like in a situation there's a whole bunch of women in the room and then like the dude who did the least is like promoted and you're like why and he's like why I work so hard like I'm a hard worker it's like yeah but you didn't what like it just annoys me it feels like group work it Mm. feels like middle school group work this might be one of the problems with taking letters that people wrote and turning them into scripture like there there might have been a couple of little notes that he meant to particular people that maybe we didn't need to hang on to (laughs) (laughs) yeah like he, he he was just writing letters. He wasn't writing scripture. If he wanted to make little side comments to people, he was totally allowed. That's fine. But when you turn it into scripture, you also need to remember, maybe maybe this is less about Christian theology and more about Paul having had one heck of a week. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's helpful. That's really helpful. <laughs> Our gospel reading for this episode is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Jesus teaches a crowd from Simon's boat and reveals his power through a fishing miracle. When Simon, James, and John agree to follow Jesus, he tells them that from now on, they will fish for people. In a non-creepy and murderous way. Right? That's what I think of every time now. I'm just like, when you fish for fish, you catch them and they die. Yeah, that's a little awkward. But no, let's go fish for people. (laughs) I did actually once have a really interesting conversation over this text about the concept that these guys fish with nets and that means that they pull up anybody and everybody they can. Whereas in America, when we talk about fishing, we're usually talking about fishing with a a rod and reel and you're going after one at a time. And that does actually impact your, what your evangelism looks like and like how broadly you're, uh, you're looking for, for folks. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. That makes sense. One of the themes that I thought of for this episode was the idea of limitation as an opportunity for help. So in this, when they are pulling in all of the fish, they run out of the ability, like their their boat is sinking. They have too many fish for them to hold. And so they call over their partners and then their partners are able to help them. And then still they have too many fish, right? But it is because they cannot do everything themselves that 
then their partners are also welcomed into this miracle. Or because Jesus is too crowded and doesn't have a boat himself, Simon is invited into the whole experience because he has a boat. And it it reminds me of like the Strengths Finder, which is kind of a personality-ish thing, but the basis for the Strengths Finder is figure out what your top strengths are and really live into them. Because if you're living into them, then other people whose strengths are your weaknesses will live into their strengths and you'll cover each other instead of like always trying to work on the things you're bad at, um, which I think is a, a beautiful way of like thinking about vocation, that the vocation is not about doing the things you're terrible at necessarily or doing the things you don't like, but doing the things that give you life and trusting that other people will also be doing the things trusting and encouraging other people to also do the things that give them life that are different than what gives you life. Sure. Absolutely. When you say the strength finder, what are you talking about exactly? It's, a, it's like a book thing called strengths finder. It, I think it's the new version of what color is your parachute? Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about like, like there's a thing, there's an ELCA thing, which is like, what are your gifts? No. And I like hate it. No, it's not like <laughs> the spiritual gifts inventory that the ELCA That does. thing. I don't yeah. need uh, my, you know, the church, the churches that I served haven't needed. I mean, like they need some spiritual gifts, obviously, but they also needed roofers and plumbers yeah. and the nurse that became like the, the, t the nurse professor that like taught nursing became like our main touchstone during the pandemic like mm -hmm. her ability to keep everyone calm and also like specifically like very gently but still firmly be like nah we're gonna stay online we're not going back this early like mm -hmm. i that was a whew, that was a gift that was a vocation yeah you know yeah so the strengths finder is not necessarily a like are you a plumber one of the strengths is like connector and that's one of my top strengths. And I connect people. So I connect people where like, oh, you have this idea and you have the, and like, you would be great. You should talk to this person or, oh, you want to do this thing. You have this curiosity. Have you thought about this? And that sort of thing. So it's, it's like the ways, and there are a lot of ways that you can live out those things. But yeah, it, it, there's like each book comes with one test, one online test that you do. So it's a little annoying because you can't really buy used books um, with any sort of reliability on that. But the books go through like what all of the strengths are, at least. So you can say, ah, this one, this one sounds a lot like me or not like me. It's really cool. That makes sense. Cool. I really like this passage. And I did this on the Delaware, Maryland Synod podcast, which is called Word for Word. Um, but we were doing, I guess, where's the other place this is? The other gospel? I think it's Matthew, right? All right. But, um that sounds right yeah, yeah. okay so like too. from what i understand this is a part this is the beginning of jesus's ministry mm -hmm. right this is the first place jesus goes after john is killed from what i understand right so that's a person that he knows that is important to him and that is murdered by the state <laughs> and the first jesus's reaction is to go and start collecting lay people like I, I, this is why it's such good news for me as a layperson, and it it validates that lay people are called to ministry because Jesus did not go, you know, in modern terms, Jesus did not go find himself a seminarian or a bunch of pastors. Yeah, 
did not go find himself some rabbis and some mm-hmm. students and some scribes and various people. It's, Jesus went and found some fishermen, went and found lay people. And so like for me, this is such incredible good news for lay people and really illustrates the difference between career and vocation because these are fishermen, that's their career and their calling was to put those, the things that they have learned as fishermen on the road for ministry. And I love that Jesus says um, in this, well, this one you just said was like, you will be catching people. I would say fishers of people, but like (laughs) that they become fishers of people. So like, for instance, I may have organized people to the polls in my past. What if I can organize faith people to DC when needed? You know, so like it, it, what my career is and what my vocation is can be different there. It can be my vocation is how I put this, this, this career that I've built or these skills that I've learned to work for the gospel. So like, I love that this affirmation that all people are called and that it's not necessarily religious experts that are called to ministry mm-hmm. and that there are all different kinds of careers and talents and skills and parts, well, you know, what Corinthians says, parts of the body that are called to ministry. And um, I guess the other thing that really strikes me is identity, because it's my understanding that these, these fishermen were, this was not just like, you know, their nine to five, this is their identity, this is their community, yeah. right? So this is part of how that they identify as people. And so there's an aspect of chosen family here because they are leaving this bio family of origin and becoming part of this other family when the very last part says that they left everything and followed him. And I think that says something about what vocation is you will leave so much behind and follow it because when you see the truth, when you see the right thing, the vocation is, is a connection. You feel the right thing when it connects for you, you just know it mm-hmm. and you, you can't ignore it because that's how the Holy spirit is. She's so demanding. It's hard yeah. to ignore and you can keep trying to, but eventually you're going to have to let everything behind and follow that. I particularly love in terms of like a queer aspect, this is, this is, this feels very much like coming out to me, mm-hmm. leaving everything behind because of this major epiphany that you have, because you're able to see in this case, in this particular version of the story, like there's these amazing, great, like bounty that they get from listening to the, listening to Jesus. And at the end of the day, they drop everything and they follow him. And to me, it feels like coming out, you're leaving this old identity that you were born with, that you came in with behind in order to follow the truth as you know it. So like, which, which by the way, for me validates the uh, reconciling in Christ process and why we have to specifically name who we're welcoming into our congregations. Because I doubt when Jesus came into this story, that when Jesus said, I'm starting a new ministry, that the fishermen were like, oh yeah, you're totally talking about me. Mm, yeah. You know, like they wouldn't have known that unless Jesus said, you and you and you come with me. I'm going to, I'm going to make you fishers of people. They weren't going to assume that he meant them. They were fishermen. Any more yeah. than queer people should assume that church is for them, that church is calling them. 
we shouldn't assume it because church has never done that before in the past. So we have to call people by name and say by name, hey, we welcome the LGBTQ community. Because if we don't say it by name, that community is not going to assume that you mean them, right? So I think there's a lot of aspects in the story that go from chosen family to calling people by name to really identifying how vocation is a matter of the heart and less less your industry that you're in. Sure. Yeah. So I love I, it's also just really good news for lay people. Like when people say that you have to be a pastor to do this and have to be a pastor to do that, I get upset. Because I don't see that anywhere in the gospel. I see God calling specifically lay people to ministry. That's my spiel. So one of the things that's unique about this version of the story compared to the version that you probably did, either the Matthew Mark version that you did for the Delaware, Maryland Synod, is that right before this, so John actually hasn't been killed necessarily. He is in prison, but he hasn't been killed. But chapter four is Jesus gets sent to the wilderness, comes back, does his like, hey, I'm doing the like preaching and miracles and all of those things shtick, and then goes to his home synagogue, reads from the scroll of Isaiah, the spirit, the spirit of God is upon me, for she has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to set the oppressed, to let the oppressed go free, to pro- like that whole thing. And then his yeah. hometown is like, ooh, and he's like, well, hold up. I'm not just here to be your, like, you know, go-to miracle boy. Like, I'm not here to do your miracles for you. This is bigger than you. And then everybody, like, tries to throw him off a cliff. And then he does this. And then we come into this story. And so it's this, like, in some ways, like, he has tried the, like, going specifically to the religious people to do the religious thing. And they're, like, nah, not having it to the point of, like, trying to kill him. And he's like, okay, reset. I have been trying to do I've been trying to do this all by myself, and I've been trying to do it in explicitly religious places. Now I'm gonna try it differently. And so then it's people are crowding around him and he gets on Simon's boat and he preaches from Simon's boat and he calls Simon and James and John as fishers. In some ways it like is counter to what you were saying, but also I think reinforces this concept of Jesus is specifically like has already tried the religious and they're not the ones who are doing the right thing. And so instead he is calling, he is is realizing his mistake and specifically calling lay folks, calling people who have jobs and then calling them into abundance. And then they just like leave, like, it's not just that they leave all of their equipment. They leave two ships full of boats in the context of subsistence living, like people who are just making it from day to day. And so like mm-hmm. all of that crowd, how many of them hung around to see what would happen when Jesus came back on the ship and then were greeted with two ships full of fish that they could just take because it was no longer being kept. Yeah. And so it's an even bigger like payout. It's not really a payout, but sure. yeah. The, the changes that Luke made to the story further emphasize what you're saying yeah and then as we dive into the verses in verse three we read jesus got into one of the boats the one belonging to simon and asked him to put out a little way from the shore then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat this is i what i like to think of this like hopping in the boat like right like jesus gets into the boat and then asks and so i was just thinking about it as like 
an attack of opportunity in D&D where like when you're moving out of somebody's space, they get an extra chance to attack you. So it's not so much an attack, but it is a like chance of opportunity. And Jesus is like, ah, this boat that may or may not be coming in or out of my space. I'm just going to hop in and then try and do the things. And they like oblige and let him preach from their boat. I tend to think that Jesus hopped in when he realized my feet are wet. Huh. I should do something about that. So like backing up, backing up, backing up uh, into the water line and then realizing, oh, look, there's a boat. And yes. This also feels to me like part of what we've been talking about this whole time about what happens when you actually listen to your call. Mm-hmm. Right. So like we have this situation where Jesus is like, Hey, in our, in, and, and in our modern day, it'd be like the Holy Spirit saying, Hey, why don't you do it my way? Why, why don't you do it my way? And, <laughs> and then they're like, eh, I haven't gotten anything. I haven't, we've tried doing this for a while. I'm not sure exactly if your way is going to make a whole lot of difference because I've been working on this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And sure. th- and then when they do it, Jesus's way, there's this huge abundance. And I hear this a lot with people's side hustles where like when they just kind of half put their feet in, they weren't, they were looking at it as um, their employment, as their career, not as their vocation. Right. Which is what it really is for them. Or as their hobby. Their heart into. Right. Or they're looking at it as their hobby when it's actually a vocation. Right. And the spirit is like, hey, why don't you take a chance on this thing? And we're like, nah, you know, I've kind of dipped my toe in. Doesn't look good in there. Does not look good for me. I don't know. And the spirit's like, no, I'm, I'm pushing you. I'm calling you. Do it. Just do it the way that I am calling you to do it. And like, eh, nobody else has been successful at it. I haven't been successful at it. And, th- and when you do it that way, because the call has come to you, how different it can be because it's your vocation, mm. your calling. Yeah. I do also want to throw out there that having some common sense and practicality about how you go about <laughs> doing that is not a terrible plan either. It's not. It's not. There indeed. was... Many, many years ago, and I have forgotten her name, uh, there was a woman who walked across the United States back and forth, literally walked. I remember you telling me about this. Talking to people about peace. And she she didn't carry a bag. She had a a tunic with a couple pockets. She owned like three things. Um, And she walked for like 50 years or something. It's extraordinary. And a few years ago, I I heard a interview with a guy on NPR who apparently tried to do this only he didn't think about anything in advance because you know mediocre white man and uh he gave away he he sold all his possessions gave away the money tried to go do this only he started in Maryland in like February nearly froze to death (laughs) and three days later had to get picked up by his mom on the side of the highway so that he didn't die and then he goes on he like writes a book or something and goes on npr and starts doing interviews and starts making money off of that and i just wanted to set something on fire yeah and um and so like okay you might have a vocation again talking to people to find out like is there a practical way to do this Mm -hmm. will i have support do other people think that this is a practical concept have i thought about the logistics all of those concepts are perfectly good and valid and the holy spirit will support you in them too yeah Yeah. so yeah like 
And the Holy Spirit if you're will gonna start you. walking across the country, don't do it in winter in a Yeah, place like I'm cold. not I'm like, not no, here dude. to like validate or encourage all mediocre white men to do the whatever whim is going yeah. through their head today exactly. and then they'll be rich and famous and everything will work out great. Like that's not where I'm going with this at all. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like we do need to have that little moment let's not encourage though, more so, of yeah. like no well, let's not encourage more of that. and that's, no, no, no. somebody tweeted the other day that like the rise of podcasts has been that now all of the mediocre white men think that whatever thought pops into their head while they're sitting on the toilet is worth being recorded it's like yeah. oh I have gotten so thoroughly encouraged to listen to podcasts that I have absolutely no interest in that are universally hosted by white men. That anyway. Well, and that's like, I mean, we've had colleagues, Kay and I have had colleagues who post in the Facebook group like, hey, I think I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Uh, do you have any tips? And A, like, give me labor to do the thing. But also, like, one of the times Kay was like, what is the niche that you would fill that other people are not? And gave our podcast as an example. Like, we specifically started as initially HP at church and now Nerds at church because nobody was doing this. And so it's like, yeah, don't do a thing that everybody's doing. And then, if I'm remembering that conversation correctly, I think he got a little offended and thought that I was giving him a homework assignment. And you should do your homework before you start a podcast. Yeah. Or you can just, you know, fail. That that is an option. But (laughs) yeah. Uh, So I gave up. Yeah. And that's. And actually, all of this does kind of link into my verse comment uh, for this passage, too. So when we read verse 10, we read, And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And again, like I mentioned at the top of the uh, this part of the podcast about this passage, yes, that phrase is a little awkward. Some phrases don't translate nicely from one language to another. That just happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did want to comment here. This passage and often this verse are often used specifically to talk about evangelism. Mm-hmm. And evangelism is a genuine part of the Christian faith. But we also do need to remember, uh, and I was recently reminded while listening to a podcast whose name I genuinely cannot say according to uh, the Corporation of Apple uh, on this podcast. The short version of the name of this podcast is F-B-O-L, those four letters, and you can Google it that way. Uh, And it's about talking about terrible characters in literature. Uh, And in the context of that podcast, I was reminded in a fairly vivid way that the church's history of evangelism has a whole bunch of terrible mm-hmm. stuff in it. And we need to be careful uh, around issues of uh, consent and power structures and uh, racism and sexism and a whole bunch of other isms mm-hmm. uh, while we share the good news. Like you can share the good news without actively hurting people. And it's like that should be part of it because it's not good news if you're hurting people and so please do keep those thoughts in mind yeah makes sense so Susanna do you have any other thoughts on life the universe and everything yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) I guess like the two things would be particularly if you're a marginalized person is it a hobby (laughs) that thing (laughs) that you is in your heart that you really feel compelled to do and your instincts are telling you that it's being selfish 
or investing in yourself when you should be investing in others or any other that kind of stuff. Um, that thing that is nagging you that never, and here's the big key, that never goes away mm. and keeps yeah. rounding its way back to you no matter how you try to let it go or prioritize other things. Is it really a hobby or is it a calling? And if it's a calling, how can you lean into that? How can you make sure that that calling is taken care of? Because that might be God talking in your life. And that might be the source of so much happiness and joy, not just for you, but for the rest of the world particularly if that thing has to do with serving your community in some kind of way and that everybody can be called. Everybody is called to something that's part of our baptism. Yes. Right. So we're all called to serve our community in some kind of way. And it does not have to be by being a pastor or a deacon, no matter how much this institution bears down. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other thing is that supporting things like this on like this Patreon, like this, this podcast and other things that are being independently created is really acting out somebody else's calling and their ability to serve God in a way that is outside of the yoke and the burdens and the pressures of the institutionalized church. So every, every time you can donate to something like this, you're freeing God's word on earth. You're freeing the ability of people to live into their call for their community because we're all called to different things and we can't as feet say, okay, you're the head. I don't need you. Yeah. That's yeah. a fantastic yeah, endorsement of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I see God in Buffy. I see God in the expanse and here's my opportunity to talk about it, mm -hmm. to see the everyday places where God teaches me lessons you give me that opportunity. So this is ministry and it's going to, the things that we talk about here stick with me longer and make more sense for my life than 30 minutes dozing off in a congregation sometimes, you know, because you went to people where they were just like Jesus went to the fishermen. That's what this podcast is doing. Going to people where they are. Would you like to make a shameless plug? So we're working on a thing, Emily and I and two amazing theologians, River Cook Needham and Pace Warfield May, and Matt May, who's an am amazing church musician. Um, and diaconia.faith is going to be where we are going to build an accessible theological education and services for congregations and pastors and lay leadership that want that. So if you are looking to have someone teach you about queer affirmation, queer um, affirming congregations and having those conversations, we will have people that can help you with that in terms of like the theology and teaching those congregations via Emily. Um, if you need help with your technology, I can help with that. And Matt May is able to help with all the things having to do with church musicianship, including integrating that into your online services. And River is an amazing theologian that has really made really made God's word clear in particular when it comes to marginalized populations particularly folks of color and disabled populations and trans populations and just keep your eye on diaconia and follow us on um Facebook where you will get more and more information as as it becomes <laughs> as River would say 
It's in process. And we'll link to Faith's Facebook page in our episode description. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for joining us, yes. Susanna. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun. It is always fun to have you on. And thank you for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. As the ancient Christian said, Hox Hox Hobiscum. Hobiscum.